Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt, and thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. This week, it's a bit of a special episode. Uh, It is the official first episode in which uh, my long-running saga, uh, the, the big backstory of this entire podcast series, my battle to get a PhD, has uh, finally concluded. Uh, as of this episode, I am officially a doctor through walking across the stage and doing a graduation ceremony. And we thought, oh, we should we should get Team Pilot back together, because now, for the first time, uh, I am joined by Ellen and Sarah, with all three of us being doctors. How could we celebrate this? By watching a very doctory film. We're watching the 1996 Doctor Who film. So, I am joined by someone who has seen the film in Dr. Ellen's ears. Hello, Doctor. Doctor. And someone who hasn't seen the film, Dr. Sarah Curtis. Doctor. 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 Excellent. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so, um, Dr. Sarah, you have not seen the Doctor Who movie from 1996. I know, strange. I, I find it very odd that I haven't seen it, and it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and full disclosure, all, all three of us on this program are quite big Doctor Who fans. Like, we, we've watched a fair bit of it. Um, I'm apparently a bad fan. Are you a bad fan? Well, I haven't watched this film, so uh, I must be a bad fan. True, but there's a lot of Doctor Who, though. Like, there's, there's a lot of Doctor Who content. Yeah, and yeah. that's and if you're looking just at film stuff, like, that's one whole thing. And then there's, like, all the big finished audio stuff, which I have never touched, ever. Mm. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So oh, boy. I, I, don't, I don't think it's... Okay, it, it is possible to be a bad fan of Doctor Who, but I don't, I don't think having Only not seen the Only if you're a gatekeeping... Movie, yeah. Mean person who tries to tell people, if you don't like any classic who, then you're a heathen. It's like, enjoy the things that you enjoy in whatever way you enjoy them. Mm. But yeah, this is <laughs> going to be a bit of a fun special episode uh, because of that. And also just because it tied into the Doctor theme. We could have done Doctor Zhivago, I guess, but we're doing this. Um, so so what do you know about the the 90s Doctor Who film? Uh, this is the Paul McGann one? Yes. Uh, yeah, that is what I know. Okay, <laughs> excellent. And so what are you expecting? Um, I guess I'm expecting a bit of a mix of sort of old Doctor Who where it's just really terrible effects, um, you know, just a bit average, but fun in a sort of quirky kind of way Mm. and maybe sort of leading towards, um, where we sort of are with the reboot, which is, you know, it might be better. It might be worse. Who knows? (laughs) Okay. Well, luckily we do have someone who has seen the film. Yeah. Dr. Ellen Sears. I think you've more or less nailed it. Kind of like slightly terrible classic Who stuff, slightly terrible new Who stuff. It's sort of, I think this bridges the gap quite nicely. Mm. It, it's interesting because it's it's turning 25 years old. Oh my God. Which is the yeah, really, that makes sense. really scary part. And one of the reasons why we chose this as opposed to other Doctor Who films. Um, but yeah, in a vague non-spoilery sort of way, um, what can people like Sarah who've not seen it expect? Um, It's kind of... Not entirely dissimilar. Just what 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 would you expect a regeneration sort of typey thing to be doing if it was in a film? That's more or less what it is. It's like the Doctor regenerates the film. Mm. Okay, that's 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 more or less it. <laughs> and we we may have a listener or two who are listening in right now who've never seen any Doctor Who whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So f- for them, for their benefit, for their benefit, okay. Um, what 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 would you say? If, if this is the first piece of Doctor Who media they're interacting with... I would not with, I would not choose this to be the first thing that you're interacting with. Okay. If, if that's the case, perhaps go and find something different. Um, it's very fun. It's very silly. It's It's got a lot of good fun Doctor Who silliness to it. Um, 
it is it has a lot of nice like British Doctor Who-ness to it, but also a lot of Americanness to it because that's where it's set. Um, Paul McGann is great. He's just fun. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how I would pitch this to somebody if they had no concept of what Doctor Who was. Mm. I would just be like, it's 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 a fun time travel, not really romp with a dude who lives in a giant blue box. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I don't I'm know. Sold. With, without without being spoilery in any capacity. Yeah. Like there's no. Like obviously I can I can spoiler you that there's like a regeneration that happens at some <gasps> point. What? <laughs> I suppose that is, that is kind of a spoiler when I think about it. It is I mean, it's bit. not really. I figured as much because he only had the film, didn't he? He didn't yeah. have a series until he sort of guested later on for the yeah. 50th anniversary. He's yeah. done a lot of big Finnish stuff, I, I, I believe. They've I think done a lot of Eighth Doctor Adventure. He's played the Doctor the most because of the big Finnish stuff. Because they've done a lot. Like, most of Eight's stuff is through big Finnish, from mm. what I understand. But if we wanted to know more about that, I'm not the person to ask. That would be. Our friend Christie. It would be, yes. Uh, so, with all that being said, shall we watch the Doctor Who film from 1996? <laughs> yes. Can't <Let's>. wait. <laughs> okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to go Alonzi. No, that's that's too early. Um, uh, have a jelly baby. No, that's too late. Uh, oh, and prepare to party like it's 1999 as we watch Doctor Who, the movie. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Doctor Who, the movie from 1996. And by we, I, of course, mean Dr. Ellen Sears. Hello. And Dr. Sarah Curtis. Doctor. Oh, yes. And your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. On this very doctory special episode <laughs> of the Cinema Catch-Up Club with hashtag Team Pilot. Or hashtag, hashtag team, pilot. team Doctor now? Team Ooh. Doctor Pilot. Mm. We've already got the hashtag. We'll have to have two. Okay, oh, that's hashtag fair. Team pilot, hashtag Team Doctor. Dr. Sarah. Yes, Dr. Steve. It was your first time watching Dr. Who, the movie. What did you think? <laughs> You're Dr. Right. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it was just so dumb. I loved it. Like, it was just big dumb fun. Mm. So you, you enjoyed yourself? I did. I mean, I was chuckling along the whole time, you know, predicting what was going to happen. And I was right every yeah. time. Yeah. It's... It's a really weird film. <laughs> Revisiting it. Yeah. For the first time in a long time. Um... When do you think you last watched it, Ellen? I think I watched it with you. Yeah. Probably like, I mean, I've I've, I've only known you for like 11 years. So sometime mm. in the past 11 years, I'm presuming after we started dating. Probably. Maybe when you did that big Doctor Who fest, when you tried to rewatch them all and you haven't caught up yet? No. No. In time for the 50th. We'll, we, we'll be in time for the 50th. Hopefully in time for the 60th will be <laughs> what we're aiming for. Mm. Um yeah, but how, how was it for you revisiting this film? It's so terrible, but like fun. Mm. It's 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 got kind of like you can see a lot of the tone. I th- you you know what I think it was interesting looking at it, especially in light of the news that's just come out about the fact that Russell T Davies is returning to um, Doctor Who as showrunner mm. um, once Chris Chibnall has left, which <laughs> that came through, and I was like, "What year is it? <laughs> Have I travelled in time? What's going on?" Um, I think this kind of prefaces a lot of things that New Who has done and tried mm. to do. So, like, that big America link, mm. um, you know, the whole gag of um, somebody going around the TARDIS, which is exactly what 
Rose does in her first episode. Mm. Like there was a lot of stuff in here where I was like, oh yeah, this kind of, yep. Lots of lots of things. But I think it was, what it was missing was a moment of proper like seriousness and sadness, which is what we've gotten a lot of in New Who. I'd agree with that. I'd I'd say it's kind of interesting. It's This is actually a really hard one to review because it it is a film. Mm. It is a standalone movie, but it isn't really. It's mm. it's it's still a part of this incredibly wide canon that's been going mm. since 1963. And I don't know, it's actually very good as a film in terms no. of introducing what Doctor Who is about at all. Yeah, if I came in as someone who's never seen the film and I'd never seen any Doctor Who, I'd be so confused right now. Mm. I'd have no idea what just happened. They made no effort to to introduce people, mm. to say, oh, you know, if this is, you know, if you're coming in now, well, we better say, hey, you know, he regenerates. What is he? He's an alien. Yeah. Oh, you know, it, it doesn't give you any of those moments. It just assumes you know everything. Mm. It jumps in pretty quick as well. Like the opening scroll is literally just like, yes, a time lord from the planet Gallifrey and Skyro and things and stuff. And now this is going to happen. <laughs> and now it's Sylvester McCoy sitting mm. in a in an armchair. <laughs> like, so, huh? Like, they just, there's no preamble. Yeah. At all, it just like throws you headfirst into it and expects you to kind of, well, I guess know what's going on. That kind of you know makes me think of you know the first introduction I had to Doctor Who, mm. and I, I guess I had two introductions. Mm. Uh, first was accidentally watching some of my grandparents' television when um, Gridlock first aired. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, I I saw bits of that because we were like you know going over for dinner and it was kind of on and it came out that my mum was terrified of Daleks right. from when she was a kid Amazing. and they watched it um, so she refused to ever watch it with us because she was just terrified by the Daleks and mm. you know was, was not over that it's a good thing it was gridlocks the following week was Daleks in Manhattan so yeah, yeah. she wouldn't have liked that well, the funny thing is um, a couple of years later my brother really wanted me to watch Doctor Who because mm. I'd not seen it mm. um, and he, so to get me into it he got me to watch uh, Blink So that was my introduction to Doctor Who was watching Blink. Mm. And then because he was like, yeah, you know, this is the best episode at the time. And, you know, it's a great way to get into it because no one knows what's going on because you don't really see the Doctor all that much in it. Mm. So you're you're from the outsider's perspective. Mm. Um, So that was my introduction. And then he's like, okay, now we're going to go back and watch Rose and from there. But funnily enough, um, of all the episodes we had, which we definitely got in, you know, a legal way um <laughs> the one episode i didn't have a copy of was gridlock right oh. <laughs> so i'd only ever watched like parts of it and had no idea what happened in that episode until about five or six years ago when i did a rewatch. and you watched it and i watched it and i was like oh that's what that's all about that's why they're talking about the face of Bo later yeah. on it makes sense now yeah oh, links together I suppose, Dr. Allen, this is a good point to ask. What was your introduction to Doctor Who? Well, okay. So, like, growing up in the 90s in Australia, ABC used to run reruns of various Doctor Who episodes. And I remember seeing random snippety bits occasionally. I think I saw a couple of episodes with Perry Mm. um, running around. That was Fifth Doctor era, right? I believe so. Yeah. I'm not, I'm um, not, that er, I'm that era is the Brown one. And I can shout just as loud as you. Yeah, that, um, that era is the one I'm probably the least familiar with. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw a couple of episodes with Perry and maybe some, so maybe some with five and maybe some with six. 
And they were just sort of reruns would run occasionally ABC. And I was like, what's this? And mom was like, it's Doctor Who. It was this like really old show. And I was like, okay. And then my next introduction to it was when New Who started coming out in 05. Yes. I'm pretty yes. sure. So what it would have been is that my friend Danielle, shout out Danielle if you're listening to this, um, she had just moved to England at the beginning of 2005. Mm. And so obviously, and she was already a, 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 like a Doctor Who fan. She's a huge Discworld fan, so she's really into like her fantasy and sci-fi and stuff. And she was posting about um, the finale episode of season one, on her live journal, oh, and I'm sure that, that has, re- I, that, I'm sure that has really dated it and dated yeah. me. Um, but yeah, because I was her friend on live journal, um, that was that was my thing, and I was like, oh, like I think I'd watched like the first episode maybe as it aired on Australian TV, and then I hadn't really, I'd missed a few of them, I think, and then mm. yeah, I got hold of them all and smashed it out, and was like, oh my god, I love this, and that was one of my first big fandoms after probably like Harry Potter and Lost. My mm. next one was Doctor Who. Yeah. And that Russell T Davies era was really my big introduction to it. Yeah. And that's the era that she was writing fanfic in. That's correct. That's good, good fic. Thank you. Yeah. And, and for me, I think my introduction to Doctor Who was this film. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry <laughs> for so you. Weird. No, because so, so I was born uh, in October 1989 and Doctor Who... The original run yeah. finished on December the 6th, 1989. So, so you heralded in the... Yeah, so I was born and grew up in the 90s, which was the lost era, <laughs> I guess, for Doctor Who, where where it just wasn't a thing. Like, mm. the character was well known in like British pop culture, but we didn't have reruns. We didn't have things like that, really. Because yeah. we had four channels. They, they were too busy making their own things. <laughs> like, we didn't have this thing which the abc had generally um or at least i certainly didn't come across reruns and it was i believe the 35th anniversary so it would have been 98 they did like a night of doctor who and it had um like mark gatiss and david walliams matt lucas did sketches uh, oh is that where they had the um the curse of the fatal death or whatever it was was that no that? but that was the that was, that was a similar later. sort of that one i have later. seen yeah. yeah so good and joanna lumley just oh i've never had a set of these before yeah it was <laughs> really interesting because they did this whole night of like programming about doctor who and mm. i being a small child like sci-fi nerd that just yeah. It was like, oh. Who'd, who'd like just gotten into Red Dwarf like the year before. Oh no, this would have been amazing. You yeah. would have been like mind blown. So they had all of these like package programs, but the big finale tonight was the, I believe the first television screening of this movie on British television. Mm. So I, I taped it all and I watched it and was just like, yeah, this is cool. Or like, I really like this Paul McGann guy running around his time machine. And so, yeah, I was, that's, that, it was the first thing that kind of got me into it. And, and I, that's why I always kind of remember this movie quite fondly because I saw it as a child and was like, oh yeah, this is fine. Like It's, and it, it's a lot of good fun silliness. Yeah. I feel uh, like if I'd watched this as a kid, I would have loved it. Yeah. And then I watched a few things from like the Tom Baker era for a few years. And mm. then when the reboot happened, I didn't actually start watching it until season two had just finished airing. Oh. So... So I watched those first two years, like basically as one whole chunk. Um, and it was great. And then mm. I've been watching it basically ever since. Uh, mm. And then going back and watching the old ones. And so 
now that we've gone through our Doctor Who history, dear listener, um, it, it it it's more. I have a lot of a lot of sort of fond memories of being young and watching this film. But this is not in any way, shape, or form a good film. No, I don't think <laughs> it's a good all. film. It's it, very fun. Yeah, but, it's good I mean, fun silliness. But but it worked as an introduction to Doctor Who for me. Mm. Um, you know where it was like time machine bigger on the inside. I've always been a bit disappointed that very few of the TARDIS's interiors or console rooms look as comfortable mm. as, as this one. Oh, I that love came up TARDIS as we were watching it. I, you know, so I think I said something about being disappointed that we don't see more rooms in the TARDIS. Like we hear about, you know, the bunk beds and the swimming mm. pool the and the library. Yeah, mm. We need to see those guys. Come on, BBC. Yeah. Get and, your budget. Well, yeah. And just having this giant set that they used for for the the console room was was just delightful. It's I love as well how they obviously sort of did the links like your gothic horror stuff. So there was obviously they had the Frankenstein film that mm. um, the um, mortuary guy was watching, mm. and they really tapped into that whole thing. So they were and obviously like he's dressed up like a you know gothic Byronic sort of hero mm. when um, Paul McGann eventually gets all of his clothing and whatever else. Mm. And so yeah, it's a really weird mishmash of like. Kind of like you know you've got a bit of Dracula in there, yeah. a bit of Frankenstein in there, yeah. and I think it's it's a really weird production as well because the, the whole point of it was to try and see if they could trick some American film company or television company into rebooting Doctor Who. Um, it didn't work. <laughs> no, it didn't. Um, which, but probably, probably for the best. Thing, yeah. But yeah, because again, it's it, it's weird how little this feels like Doctor Who. Mm. Well, it's kind of like when Torchwood. <clears throat> When Torchwood, Torchwood, um, I'll try that again. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of like when Torchwood in season four tried to get the American audience by going to America. And yeah. I'll admit, I enjoyed Torchwood for the first three seasons, and then I got an episode into season four and just stopped watching because it was, it was just too American. Earth, right? the, mm. Yeah, whichever one, which was the American one, right? When when they they it just it didn't feel like Torchwood. It didn't feel like Doctor Who. It just kind of felt like this weird rip off, even though they had the same actors and characters. Mm. It just mm. it was wrong. Yeah, and yeah, it, it it is really interesting as well watching this, not as it being a new thing, like watching yeah. it as because it's it's twenty five years old. We've had. 13 well 12 13 seasons of television of new who we've heard five minimum new doctors um and we, we've even seen various specials yeah. and we've even seen paul the... mcgann paul mcgann's come yeah. back and played the doctor oh my god that i think that was honestly one of the best things about the 50th he yeah. just turned up and everybody just lost their goddamn minds i was like yes yeah yes this it, is amazing like it, if you couldn't get chris eccleston in and like this is mm spectacular and that made me want to see more of his doctor because at the time that was all i'd seen was that you know three minute five now you've minute seen long more. clip or yeah. whatever <laughs> and i was like give me more give me seasons mm. of him yeah but it's it's really interesting as well seeing just just seeing him but because paul mcgann is just such an interesting actor where the last thing that we saw him on this program was the three musketeers uh where he, which was also us <laughs> yeah <laughs> which and, was also team pilot yeah he's um <laughs> yeah it's interesting how he kind of has he is very campy which is you you really need that for doctor who you really need that for whoever's playing the doctor mm. does uh, that campiness i think ever since troughton played the role mm. when really sort of introduced that sort of slightly silly side which uh the, the very first doctor didn't really have as much 
Mm. Every other Doctor since then has had some level of silliness to them. And I, I do think McGann does a very good job of that. I, I think we do need to give a shout out to Sylvester McCoy's 10 minute cameo, uh, finishing off his his run as the Doctor. Um, he's he's really he's just really fun to watch. And he's just so him. He's just so... I realize Sylvester McCoy doesn't act. He just turns up, plays Sylvester McCoy, and they just make the thing around him, basically. Yeah, more or less. Yeah. But, I mean, Sarah is someone who obviously has enjoyed Sylvester McCoy and other uh, Tolkien-related media. (laughs) Uh, How how was it seeing him in this? I mean, it was like seeing him in The Hobbit. It was exactly the same. And I'd seen a few of his episodes of Doctor Who, Mm. Um, cause I've seen a few with him and Ace. Um, that makes sense. I feel like you're very Ace aligned. Funnily like, enough. Give me a bazooka and I'll shoot a Dalek. <laughs> the irony, Sarah is Ace aligned. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. And I've seen some, some, some Sarah Jane episodes as well. Mm. Oh, um, Sarah Jane. So, you know, it was just amusing seeing him there doing his thing and just being like, yep, this is what I expected. I, I think it's nice. And I think it's really important more than nice that this this starts with him with with the most at that point the most current iteration of the doctor mm. handing off the role uh to to whoever came next because one of the the conversations that they had in producing this and we'll get into this a bit more in the trivia was having tom baker play the doctor and then regenerate and it be somebody probably paul mcgann <laughs> Um, but yeah, there, there were a lot of different different options or ideas where they went. We're just gonna we're not gonna have that that connection to the classic series. But I'm I'm really glad that they they did do it mm. um, because we we have managed to maintain this this incredible Continuity. collective through line from 1963, where you know you have Paul McGann coming back for a special as part of the 50th, where. It explains the connection from him to the War Doctor, and then that, and then to the Ninth Doctor, and all of those things. Mm. Um, Eric Roberts as the Master. <laughs> I think we really have to talk about him because I genuinely think he is the best thing in this film. <laughs> He's so camp. Yeah, it's just like the Terminator, but funny. Yeah, yeah. he's like Terminator for kids. Yeah, no, but he's. <laughs> He's genuinely a really good master. And I know people don't like him very much. And I don't know if this is, again, because he that was my first introduction. Because he's American as well. To the master. But Eric Roberts plays superb, slimy villains. Mm. Um, like, he's one of the best bits in The Dark Knight, where he's one of the mob bosses. And, mm. you know, Batman's interrogating him, and he's like, where are his friends? Friends? You think this guy has friends? Like, he's he's fantastic. And in this, he's just so over the top silly but he he builds mm-hmm. throughout like he starts off obviously as the paramedic who gets possessed and then you know you have the whole bit where he's like standing in the window and his wife's there and he's like you'll call me master and she's like <laughs> and then he breaks her neck um to, but it sort of builds until you get him in the gallifreyan robes in because the i eye always of dressed for the occasion but it's it's even the way he delivers it it's i always flourish his hand dress for the occasion like it's it's so stupid but so wonderful and uh, how how was it for you sarah as a first time viewer again super dumb um but i was here for it like mm. if they hadn't done that i would have been disappointed mm. uh and again very vampiric mm. um when yeah. he does get In into the, the full gallifreyan 
thing. Yeah, there were mm-hmm. a lot of, I feel, um, echoes and parallels happening there, mm. uh, which was good fun. But yeah, as soon as I saw Terminator, I couldn't unsee it. Yeah. It's very Terminator. It's very, a little bit Matrix as well, with yeah. the sunglasses which, and the black leather jacket. A couple of years, couple years before, later. I think it was more of a 90s thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, black, long black leather coats. Yeah. Sunglasses. But he's, he, he was actually the exact right master for this film. I think I think that the target audience for this is probably based a little bit, possibly, on like the original classic Who series because that was originally meant to be like a, an educational sort of program. They were like, we can do fun sci-fi things and like educate children about like History. historical figures and stuff. Mm. So I feel like for this, like thinking about, yeah, I I, f- I feel like this is kind of pitched at like. It's it's a family movie. It is. This is this is a family movie. But but at the same time, they they do some things which are a little unfamily, and, and particularly obviously the, the big um, controversy at the time was the doctor is kissing. Oh his, yeah. His companion stand-in, Doctor Doctor Grace. Yeah, he was uh, the sexy doctor. Yeah. He was the sexy doctor, and that's why a lot of people were really mad when he like only got to do audio adventures they're like well we don't get to look at the pretty face yeah no but the, the fact <laughs> he's he's romantic because yeah the doctor despite it being established from the very beginning that he has a granddaughter and therefore presumably has had a family at one point in, mm. in their life um it's never been like you know you never saw like william hartnell macking out with anybody in the 60s or or even more recent doctors like like um like like Peter Davidson or or Colin Baker, you never saw mm. them get romantically entangled with any of their yeah their companions. And so, how how did it read for you, Ellen? Because obviously, given given that New Who has certainly not shied away from that. Um, um yeah, definitely not. Look, it was very like you're the closest available female, and I'm going to kiss you for no apparent good reason, and she's going to be unexpectedly thrilled by it. Well, Brian just broke up with her because she left the opera. How dare she? I, too, like to have some random guy I just met make out with me. That's, like, the best. Yeah, you can always tell when you're watching a thing and you're like, oh, this was written by a man. Because in real life, like, because, like, he climbs into her car and she doesn't, really protest he's like drive drive and she's like okay i'm gonna do it i'd be like get out of my car or i'm gonna hit you with a heavy thing like Mm. that is not how women behave in real life and every time i watch a film where a woman behaves in a stupid way like this i'm like what is wrong with you but the plot they don't operate in in opera gowns okay no but i was watching that scene right Mm. and i was just like okay but like the dress would be like super contaminated Mm -hmm. potentially yeah so not safe practice like what what what's the thing? Um, it's like sterile. Yeah. Yeah. Like not sterile at all. And then they bring the phone in and put it to her face. I'm like, no, she has to like completely scrub herself clean again now because that phone has like outside germs on it. And then they go in and they have a CD player in there. And I'm like, what? This is some Doctor Strange no. bullshit. No, but that, it wasn't even that. I was like, this is not sanitary. Mm. Like my mother is a nurse. Pre-COVID. She teaches people stuff and that too. Yeah. Like when he rips her mask off, I was like, oh, I was like, oh, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the nineties. I was getting like it's, it's anxiety not, about it's not it. Not the same problem. But, oh yeah. man, no. Yeah. Um I yeah, I quite like Grace. 
quite, I, I quite, I quite like aspects of her character, but, but then occasionally it's just like, and now she's a swooning damsel in distress, yeah. which is what they did in Classic Who. But so that kind of makes sense. I also like, like that she was a bit older than the companions that came after her. Yeah, yeah. Because you have someone like Rose, who's what nineteen. Yeah, she's yeah. A baby. and romantically, you know, inclined with the Doctor and all mm. of that. Like that, just looking back, just feels kind of icky. Um, there is a slight age gap between her and um, the 950-year-old Christopher Eccleston character or however old he was meant to be at that point. 903, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, having having them seem a bit closer physically in age, even if, you know, they're not, mm. like, it just it made it feel still a bit bad, but not as bad as, you know, it, it is with Rose, you know, who's literally a child. Yeah. To be fair, Billy Piper could have chemistry with a doorknob. So, like, I think that's partially just a her problem. Mm. How dare you be sexy? No, like, she really does. It's terrifying. But also, like, I, I feel as though the, the intent of the, the two writing teams are very different. In this, I, I feel as though what they've gone for is just, um, oh, we're making Doctor Who. Doctor Who always has a companion. and They're they usually were usually pl- a girl. And the fact that it was, you know, everyone except for Paul McGann and Sylvester McCoy were American that were making this film. Mm. Uh, or appearing in the film um, and you know making it educated uh, American lady she likes the opera and she cries at it because she's got emotions TM you know like and like, she's a medical doctor she's the best damn heart surgeon in the state yeah you can have his shoes I don't need them anymore I've got a microscope in my kitchen he like, took my <laughs> sofa <laughs> yeah. like like she's got a lot of that going on but whereas I feel like that is very different from what, say, Russell T. Davis was attempting to do that oh, first season, where yeah. I, I think making Rose a younger person, making Rose someone who is, like, a young adult who is just coming into, like, going out and exploring the world in terms of... The, and then literally going out and exploring every world with the TARDIS, mm. even though that ended up being a romantic story. I... Yeah, I think the intent there, partly with making her that age, was partly because it's new audience and bringing them in and it's new eyes. And part of the wonder of traveling with the Doctor is them showing you stuff you've never seen. But yeah, there are troubling aspects to that as well. And I think that maybe they've done that better with subsequent Doctors and companions, maybe. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be a weird age gap. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. you know, except, you know, with River, they've, um, you know, done a bit better with That's that. That's true. And um, who knows how old she is. Yeah, and with them, um, I'd say <sighs> the 12th Doctor and Bill Potts, I thought was a really, really great way of showing that. Where, But then again, they established very clearly that they were never going to hook up. So, I mean, yeah, pretty, pretty clearly, yeah. Yeah, because that just wasn't going to happen with 12 in general. Uh, <laughs> but also, yeah. Um, anyway, we are getting very very sidetracked um we, we do need to talk about um Sylvester McCoy got shot in this film and it's just a note that I made here um you, I bet you that did... was super traumatic for yeah. a lot of children yeah you did predict it though <laughs> I did though as soon as we started having the gang violence I was like oh doctor's gonna show up and he'll get shot yeah. and like a minute later doctor shows up get shot yeah although I do quite like that it wasn't that which killed him it, it led to him being killed because of the um, anesthetic. Mm. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, I just thought that was really kind of interesting. Um, having, oh, the doctor's first time in America. He gets shot after like two seconds. 
classic. Um, Nothing's changed. I mean, maybe that's why the American audiences didn't like it. Like, as soon as we rock up in America, it's like, oh, what are the bad things about America? Well, gun violence, the health system, everything is screwed up. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty scathing indictment on, like, (laughs) a lot of their things. Mm. Maybe that's why they didn't like it. Maybe. Hmm. Possibly. Because the next time they did America on Doctor Who in a big way, I mean, you had the Dalek episode. In but that season wasn't, one. That wasn't shot in America, though. No, it wasn't. And then the next one after that was like the... Was it Richard Nixon? Yeah, so th- there were other episodes that were set in America, like yeah, Daleks yeah, yeah. and Manhattan and stuff. But the next time they went Actually to went there, America yeah, was, and yeah, shot 11. was, yeah, was the start of season six with Matt Smith and the Impossible, impossible Astronaut and... Mm, um, all that stuff, yeah. Yeah, all those kind of things. And they had uh, Who's He Google from Supernatural. Oh, Mark Shepard, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, they did... Doing um, an American accent, which is just so funny, because he's British. Yeah. (laughs) It's... I I do feel as though there isn't much more to say about this, simply because it's not a very good film. Yeah, there's not a lot to it, There's a lot of, like, weird plot jumps, like, the Eye of Harmony is just kind of, like, the ultimate... It looks like a leftovers prop from, like... Return of the Jedi. It, yeah. <laughs> but but the Eye of Harmony just like, it's open. Oh, so the Doctor can understand everything. I've remembered who I am because they open an eye. Oh, and now the Master can see what I'm seeing. Why? Because this film's got to be done in 90 minutes. We really need to They never explain anything. It's Deus Ex Machina, the film. Yeah. Really. They do everything far too quickly. Like when they're trying to like resuscitate him and they're not waiting between you know, each time they like pump his chest. Mm. Like that's hilarious. But yeah, with all of the, the Eye of Harmony, like... This thing is happening. Why? Who cares? Let's move on. Yeah. And like, it, yeah, I, I do think that partly... It's sci-fi. It doesn't need to make sense. I suppose. It, 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 it partly suffers a bit from being like, we have this amazing machine that can go anywhere in time and space. Watch it travel from an alley in San Francisco to a park in San Francisco. They never go do anywhere, yeah. anything with, with either space or really time. Mm. Even though the whole thing is technically about time, because they say the word time like a gazillion times, and there is like the first the first couple of minutes of this film is just you can tell it's a time machine because look at all the clocks that are here, yeah. <laughs> and then he's and then reading, reading the, the time, time machine, machine. Yeah. and yeah. the new millennium. Oh god, yeah, which in '96 would have been like a hot button issue. Like, oh my god, it's mm. coming. I, I mean, mean, I I thought that was actually kind of a, a fun setting, mm. do, doing it that way, um, but. Yeah, look, I, it's it's just not very well made. Um, it, I mean, it, it's it's a made for TV movie, but sometimes they can be good. <laughs> and <laughs> not in this case. <laughs> looking at it in a super critical, taking off all of my various Doctor Who fandom hats, mm. you know, taking off Four's brown hat and Two's stovepipe hat and Eleven's cowboy hat and Fez, that's all the hats off. Um, it's just. It's it's such a crap film. It's just so badly made. Um, it, just in terms of just it's it, it's badly written. It, it's just a very badly written film. Mm. The effects are pretty naff as well, even for the nineties. Like this yeah. looks like this looks like a, a like a budget TV kids mm. show. It reminds me of all the films in the nineties that gave me nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Although I will say the regeneration face switch, where like oh he was like wow the, the face wow, is wow. the actor is gurning, but the face is being warped, and then it warps from McCoy into McGann. Mm. I thought that looked surprisingly. That smoke. looked surprisingly yeah. good. Look, it wasn't quite Theoden, but you know it was getting there. Yeah. yeah. The Alex Mack snake goo master mm. was very like. 
terrible children's show from the 90s yeah level of, of yeah like sarah's too young and i'm effects. english what's alex mack um the secret life of alex mack was a television program about a girl who got doused in weird chemicals like some truck crashed on the side of the road and doused her with chemicals mm. and then she had to like hide the secret fact that she could like melt into a puddle and then like slide under doors and do stuff but she's just like a regular girl at school you know it was one of those kind of things australian tv shows in the 90s were so messed up they were so whack mm. And that's not even going in around the twist, which was oh even worse. Yeah. Or um, what was the one? Lift off hmm. with the creepy doll. Yeah. <laughs> I have vague. Yeah. Some, if, if you, I if suppress you, those memories. If you, if you don't know what that is, viewers, go look up EC from Lift Off. Mm. Go look up that doll. It will or, give you nightmares. I'm mm. so sorry. Or the genie down under. Oh, super racist. So bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look. Australian children's television in the 90s was a nightmare. Skip me the bush kangaroo. Yeah. And, and so... I suppose, Sarah, like, it's hard to judge this independent of Doctor Who. And I think it's fairly fair to say this doesn't work as a standalone film. No. But but how how was it, I guess, is kind of what I'm coming back to. Because we sort of have to judge it in terms of its connection to this existing property. Yeah. I mean, I came in with a pretty low bar. Like, I came in expecting it to be bad. Mm. Which I think, it, you know, it met my expectations. It was bad. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it was bad. But yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I had a good time with its badness. Like, I, you know, Doctor Who never really had much of a budget. Mm. Um, you know, they did everything they could with the same prop recycled over and over again. Mm. Bubble wrap painted a different color. Yeah. So, like, I think it kind of lived up to that. Mm. Um, and I enjoy Doctor Who in general, obviously. Um, cause you know, I've been watching it for quite some time now, mm. uh, and I still come back to it and, you know, rewatch old episodes and go, yeah, that's still fun. It's, it's fun that you're not supposed to take seriously. I mm. didn't come in to take this seriously. So I had a good time. Yeah. And Ellen revisiting it. Mm. Um, how, how was it for you? Um, it's probably a bit crapper than I remember, but mm. like, Again, I don't think... I, I think I kind of had a bit of an idea before I watched this the first... I think this is only the second time I've watched this. Mm. I'm pretty sure that the, before I watched it previously, I'd heard kind of like, yeah, it's a bit crap, but like, it's fun. Yeah. And so I kind of went into it with that and I came back into it with, yeah, I remember this being pretty camp mm. and a bit like, meh. I just don't remember it being funny. this crap. Though. It's, yeah. yeah. Like, but, but there are still enjoyable bits. The, yeah. re- the regeneration scene mm. um, with the orderly, who we've discovered is played by Will Sasso, who, uh, yeah. for anyone on Vine, is the guy who would, uh, whenever someone says lemon, suddenly go, lemon, and then suddenly spit out a whole lemon. Um, he's Which done... I completely forgot about those vines until you showed them to you know, again. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this guy. Yeah, well, oh, cred- damn. Yeah, the credit was William Sasso. And I went hang on a second and looked and yeah it's will sasso it's so funny he's got a larger than i remember role in this film as this sort of comedy orderly um pete or whatever his name whatever was. his name was yeah um but th- but the sequence with the doctor regenerating and coming out with it cut with the 30s frankenstein i thought mm. was worked quite well if a bit on the nose and then it got even more on the nose with it was him just literally very dressed as christ and being like <laughs> who am I? spreading his arms just, just yeah. covered in rain yeah just like yeah in the i was disheveled... waiting for him to like slow-mo shake his hair yeah. around and in, like yeah. have some saxophone music start playing or yeah. something <laughs> yeah. i'm the sexy doctor in yeah. case no one knew in the disheveled <laughs> uh heavily <laughs> mirrored section of the hospital yeah, yeah and, and, and 
that the bit of the hospital that's been abandoned and it's destroyed, which totally happens in a hospital. That's the American healthcare system for you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, look. Mm. Um, and then they saved the day because they had to. <laughs> it kind of I still like. don't get how they saved the day. So she put wires together and magic, it fixed it. They, but they never explained how. They reverse the polarity of the neutron flow, Sarah. Don't you know anything? <laughs> How hot in the TARDIS was going to have any impact on whether or not the master stole the doctor's body and how he was stealing the body also makes no sense. But that's fine. I'm not going to complain. I'm wondering cool. if the TARDIS was just sitting there like eating popcorn the whole time. Like, I wonder. Yeah. This dude's a bit boring. He's not taking me anywhere. He's just sitting around reading books. I wonder yeah. what would happen if I broke the master out of this. Oh, this is fun. It could be, yeah. Let's blame the TARDIS. In, I in, mean, in a way, it's the perfect Doctor Who film in that it doesn't explain anything. So <laughs> maybe that's good. Would you guys like some trivia about Please. this film? I'd love some trivia. Okay, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb. So if it's not true, don't blame me. Um, Christopher Eccleston is our first bit of trivia. Uh-huh. He, of course, went on to play the Ninth Doctor when yeah. the series was rebooted in 2005. He was offered the role of the Eighth Doctor. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. So he was oh. under consideration. He declined to audition because at the time he felt he was not yet an established enough actor and didn't want to be associated with a brand name so early in his career. Oh, That's really interesting. I'm now imagining the alternate timeline where Eight was played by... Chris Eccleston mm. and Paul McGann then played nine. Oh. Oh. Would we then have had Tennant after him? Probably not. I doubt no. it. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Russell T. Davies was like, had him in Casanova and was like, yes, you. But that's because they were looking for <laughs> the next sexy doctor. Yeah. They were. If they had Paul McGann as sexy doctor straight away, you can't follow sexy doctor with another sexy doctor. Maybe. That's why Matt Smith followed David Tennant. Yeah, like an awkward house cat that's yeah. fallen Not saying he's a bad looking dude, but they didn't play him sexy whatsoever. He, yeah, he has a big forehead and no eyebrows. Hmm. Well, you know, they made up for that with the next one. Mm. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Here we go. The BBC originally wanted Tom Baker, who played the fourth Doctor, to be the Doctor at the opening of the film, as this is the version of the Doctor that is most familiar to American audiences. Interesting. The American executive producer... That's why they had his scarf. Yeah, which uh -huh. I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. The American executive producer, Philip Sagal, insisted on Sylvester McCoy. Uh, Philip was an avid Doctor Who fan and felt that the seventh Doctor deserved a proper send-off. BBC One controller Alan Yentob and executive, executive producer Joe Wright were very resistant to the return of Sylvester McCoy as they associated him with the decline in popularity and eventual cancellation of the original series. Oh, like it's his fault. Oh, it was a long yeah. process, unfortunately. Um, Joe Wright, the producer, eventually said that McCoy could appear as long, it w as, long as it was for, quote, a very short time and he didn't say anything, end quote. Uh, this was revealed on a documentary made about the film and is why Sylvester McCoy has 12 lines in this film. And they're all, you know, sort of throwaway lines yeah, like, as well. Huh, what? Ow! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying! Yeah. I'm not human! She's probably why he's doing so much, like, face acting and stuff in any... I feel like that's just him. It's true, yeah. 
This is the first time the Doctor is shown kissing a woman, but not a man. Ooh. Uh, in the original series, the character never displayed any romantic interest in his female companions or any other women, and altogether, at the beginning of the TV series, um, he travelled with his granddaughter, uh, but other than that, his family life was rarely mentioned. The Doctor being asexual was in part due to the family-orientated nature of the original show. That's right, you heard it first here, folks. Asexuality is family-orientated. Damn right it is. Yeah. Another future doctor declined to audition for the part, Peter Capaldi. Oh! As soon as you said that, I was like, I bet Peter Capaldi, because David Tennant would have been way too young. Yeah. And Matt, Matt Smith was like a literal baby. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's like, it was like a literal child at this Matt time. Matt Smith would have been like maybe 12, I think, or something. Like he was. Yeah. How old is he? He was 28 when he got the part. So he'd be 38 now. So yeah, he would have been. He would have been about 13, 14. Amazing. Yeah, so. And, uh, yeah, <sighs> for some reason they didn't ask Jodie Whittaker. I don't know why. <laughs> um, she has the same haircut as Grace. It wouldn't have worked. That's true, yeah. They would have been confused. Although now I'm trying to imagine Jodie Whittaker as she is now in this film. Yeah. Making like, out with Grace. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not mad. Look, I can go through a window and just pushing through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I can imagine her doing like, oh, Da Vinci, he had a cold when he drew that. Like, <laughs> I, I'd enjoy that film. These shoes, they fit perfectly. Yeah. Do you mind if I take your boyfriend's shoes? Ex-boyfriend. Ooh, uh, like. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been That's very... a rough cop. Yeah. <laughs> While speaking at a Doctor Who convention in 2004, the producer, Philip Siegel, mentioned that the TARDIS set used for this film had mysteriously disappeared from storage. The whole set? Yeah. Did someone steal it? Yes. Was it me? <laughs> the console from the set is now in the hands of longtime Doctor Who fan Paul Salamoff, who regularly brings it to the Los Angeles-based Doctor Who convention Gallifrey One. So somebody stole the set, and this guy's ended up with the console from it and just takes it to conventions, which is great. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sure, he found it. Yeah. Where's the rest of it? I don't know. Just don't come to my house, please. Or to any of my storage units. Mm. It's in five pieces across the states. The TARDIS set cost $1 million to build. That's and, decent. And was constructed in the hope that a series would have emerged from the film. Aww. Although it does not resemble the control room seen in the original series, it has long been established that the Doctor is capable of changing the interior configuration of the TARDIS anytime he chooses, as well as the TARDIS having more than one control room. So... He changes the desktop theme. Yeah. As he likes it. Yeah, and it's it it's still the best TARDIS interior. It's, Maybe it's because it was the first one I saw. It's but very pretty. It's I very think it's my favourite and yeah. I've only just seen it. So. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's, All again, very tiny. camp, very silly, mm. very yeah. fun. You could see him living there. Like yeah. mm. other sets of the TARDIS you, you don't feel like someone lives there. They're very utilitarian, especially yeah. especially the first one in uh, New Who. Yeah, which is glorious. I but... love that set so much. The mm. coral, oh, it's so pretty. Yeah. I wonder what set they're going to go with with now that Russell T's back. That, oh. Because it'll have to be different. Mm. Well, it'll be new Doctor, new companions, mm. new everything again it'll be it'll mm. be a full reset like it was yeah with new who and then again when matt smith came in mm. and moffat took over yeah i am really intrigued yeah 
producer Philip David Siegel was born in the USA, but grew up in England, hence why he became such a massive fan of Doctor Who. It was largely due to his determined efforts that this movie was carried to completion and that the story mostly stayed within the Doctor Who canon. I think the mostly there refers to the fact that the Doctor is referred to as being half human throughout. Well, that's been retconned somewhat. That was was weird. I spent the whole time going, is he though? Yeah. I mean, that's that's been a that's been a, a fan theory for a long time. Mm. Like before New Who, like that's that's like that's complicated. Yeah. Um, both Fox and Universal Studios wanted a huge name to play the Eighth Doctor. The fact that it's Paul McGann maybe suggests they didn't get their wish at the time. Um, but they had three top choices, um, who all turned it down for various reasons which we'll go through but these were the three leading choices they wanted can i can i guess at least go one on then. hugh grant no oh come um, on colin firth no all, they're all american oh uh, no yeah tom hanks mm-hmm. harrison ford <laughs> sexy doctor and technically canadian Jim Carrey. No. Oh, no. Mm. Oh, no. Okay, so if we had to pick one out of those three, who would it be? Well, it's Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, yeah. yeah. Like, there's no question. You would pick Tom Hanks. Yeah, he's the only one who's got that sort of quirky Mm. range. Now, Hanks, who is a fan of classic Who, turned down the role because he felt that Americans shouldn't play the part. Good man. Yeah, he said it wouldn't. What a true Hoovian. Wouldn't do the show's legacy any justice. A Hoovian first and an American second. Oh, Tom Hanks. Good guy, Tom Hanks. This is why we love him. Yeah. Harrison Ford turned down the role because he didn't want to work in television, which, fair. (laughs) And Jim Carrey, who had never seen an episode of Doctor Who, turned down the role as he felt it would cause outrage amongst Doctor Who fans if the role was being played by someone that wasn't a fan of the series. So Jim Carrey turned it down for the same reason as Tom Hanks. I mean,. respect Mm. like yeah that was probably a wise choice because he would have had the shit ripped out of him i by whovians i'm a little curious but i'm not curious enough to want it to have happened no i I don't want that timeline i think whovians would have been very mad about that Mm. uh so with that being the case british actors were looked at um there's there's a bit of a list here uh i'm gonna run through some of them uh Mm -hmm. just let me know if you think uh they'd have done a good enough job, sort of like Paul McGann did. Okay. Um, Michael Crawford. <laughs> Actually, yes, <laughs> he would have. He's I good at the camp. Yeah. He's good at the camp. That was, you know, he he came up through comedy. Like mm. he's yeah. very camp. Tim Curry. Yeah. Mm. Would have been. I think he would have had to have been the master though. Yeah. The I mean, he d- wasn't shoes. he the master later on? As no. a no, no, he didn't do a spoof. These no. shoes, they fit perfectly. Yeah. Um, Eric Idle. Uh, no, no. Billy Connolly. Yeah, uh, nope. I feel like Billy Connolly would have been a fantastic like one-off companion for yes. like a special. I think Billy Connolly would have done, but the... just as himself. I think he would have done this specific Doctor quite well. Nineties Billy Connolly doing the they fit perfectly and like not being allowed to swear. Yeah. I, I think he could have done quite a good job. <laughs> um, Michael Palin. This is just, they were literally just like, what British comedians are not dead? Mm. Michael Palin was the front runner when they had to switch to really? English ones, but he didn't feel he was right for it, so no. he didn't audition. I think a lot of them would have been like, mm, no. Um, Jonathan Price, who <laughs> played the master yeah. in Curse of the Fatal Death, the yes, Red Nose Day special. Um, other people that auditioned include Anthony Head. 
Oh, amazing. Like 90s Anthony Head as well. Mm. Interesting. (laughs) Because when was Buffy? Like immediately after this. Yeah, pretty much 97-ish onwards. (coughs) Yeah, it would have been. It would have been. Tim McKinnery, who was probably most famous for being in Blackadder. Mm. Um, And then was, like most of these actors, subsequently in Doctor Who at some point. And um, Liam Cunningham, or the Onion Knight, Sir Davos, from um, Game of Thrones. That would be interesting. Very interesting. And Mark McGann, Paul's brother. <laughs> so both Mark McGann auditioned, but his brother got it. So. I, wonder, I wonder if that's a source of contention amongst the two of them. Mm. That's funny. Um, initially, and th- th- there's a huge list of actors that could have played the master. We're just going to focus on one for now. Christopher Lloyd was considered. <gasps> oh! Would have been very different. Wow, yeah. And I'm, I kind of wish we got to see that. <sighs> Just him in that robe. I always dress for the occasion. He would have been very funny. Um, Universal didn't like how much he was going to cost. They ended up going with Eric Roberts, who it turned out cost more, though. (laughs) (laughs) This was intended as a pilot for a new American-produced Doctor Who TV series, and although it was a ratings winner in the UK, achieving 9.1 million views, um, it flopped on American TV, and so no new um, series was purchased. Steven Spielberg was originally involved in the film's development through his company, Amblin Television. Mm. When an early script featured the Doctor in World War II battling Nazis in search of an ancient artifact, Spielberg <laughs> pulled um... his support. Spielberg felt it, that that version was, was a, a bit li- derivative. Was a bit too close to something called Indiana Jones. I mean, it explains the set. Yeah. Uh, fearful that the production deal might fall apart with Spielberg pulling out, the American producers didn't tell the BBC that Spielberg <gasps> was no longer involved until production was underway and oh it was too God. late to back out. Wow. Yeah. Jesus Christ. You couldn't get away with that these days. Mm. I mean, you could try. Mm. Um, the producer, Philip Siegel, was trying to make this film at the same time another company had the rights to a theatrical version of Doctor Who. But those rights were on the verge of expiring. Um, The other company originally tried to extend their rights by having Leonard Nimoy shoot a bit of footage as the Doctor so they could claim that they were staging the production. Siegel met Nimoy, told him what his plan was to do, and Nimoy backed out so that the rights would expire (laughs) and that this uh, producer could do his work. Leonard Nimoy, what a legend. Good man. Dead set. Yeah, he's like, I'm being used. (laughs) No, I'll step out. I mean... Yeah, I'd be pissed too. Yeah, dead set science fiction legend Leonard Nimoy. Not only helping Star Trek, but Doctor Who as well. Ah, good old Leonard Nimoy. Actors considered for the role of the Master. This is the longest list of actors considered for ever, to the point where I have edited this down. We are just going to do rapid fire, yes, no. Do you think they could have done the part as well, if not better, than Eric Roberts? Okay. F. Murray Abraham. I have no idea who that is. Um, he was Salieri in uh, Amadeus. Oh, me. Okay. Uh, Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> uh, Richard Dean Anderson. <laughs> I'm guessing that's a no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, um, David Bowie. <gasps> yes. yes. Yeah. All, always yes to David Bowie. Um, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> No, I, I honestly feel so. he would have been more in the, um, even though he's not Asian, he would have been in that archetype that, that Lee was. Mm. He would have been the sidekick who's been like, hang on a sec, I've been betrayed. <laughs> like this kind of thing. 
Uh, Chevy Chase. Yeah. Mm. Phil Collins. <laughs> I can feel it coming. He would have done the score then. Yeah. Can you imagine? It would have been like Tarzan. Oh my God. Two hearts, one family. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim Curry making it onto both lists. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. He would have no. been. Super. He would have been superb as the master. Timothy Dalton, mm-hmm. fresh from having just finished his James Bond. <laughs> he wasn't he Rassilon? He did end up. Yes, yes, yes he was. He ended up being okay, so Rassilon. we saw we saw what happened with him then. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Michael Dawn, better known as Worf from Star Trek: Oh, Next okay. Generation. Worf, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen him out of his Worf makeup. I am not a merry man. Yeah. Could have been good. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Frakes, also from Star Trek. He was Riker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would have been probably quite similar, I think, to to Eric Roberts. Um, Jeff Goldblum. Oh, my God. (laughs) I always dress for the occasion. Yes. Except he'd just be playing himself. Yeah, he would. That's a big old pile of shit. Like, (laughs) he's just been using lines from (laughs) other things he's already been in. Yeah. Uh, Rutger Hauer, uh, better known as the baddie from Blade Runner, the the android, the tears in rain. Oh, yeah, He'd terminated vibe, yeah, terrifying. I've only seen the last twenty minutes of that film. I haven't seen any of it. Well, we did it four years ago on this program, <laughs> so go back and listen. Uh, Dennis Hopper, the baddie from Waterworld. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was also an easy rider, but the baddie from Waterworld is apparently what I go for first with Dennis Hopper. He would have been batshit insane. Mick Jagger. (laughs) Were they just like... This list is just... Insane. Literally any male person that you might know. Uh, I I cut out so many from this. We're at the J's at the moment. Oh my God. This is mostly alphabetical. Ben Kingsley. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Mm. I think he could have been quite good. Mm. Christopher Lee. Yes. Yes. It would have been a very different... First of all, I can't see Christopher Lee being a paramedic. He would have been <laughs> With... so scary as yeah. Master, though. Yeah. That would have been amazing. Mm. Legit, so good at playing villains. Amazing. Yeah. Just stabbing people in the back. It would have been weird... With him having Eric Roberts' actual wife playing the wife role, though. Which... I know that technically they probably wouldn't have got... They would have got his, his wife. wife instead. Yeah. We've just been about this and nice... this was also like pre Lord of the Rings. Mm. Like, what was he doing in the nineties at this time period? Nineties, not yet Star Wars. Yeah, not yet Star Wars. Even yeah, just chilling, I guess. Just chilling out, doing. Oh no, he was probably actually working on uh, his music. I tell you what, he was doing. He was voicing Death in the Discworld yeah. animated oh, things. Oh yeah, that's this time period. Mm. So yeah, he was busy. Because he going... did some good heavy metal in the nineties. Yeah, he was busy making heavy metal and just saying things like, "I could murder a curry." <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, man. Peter. I cannot get up these goddamn stairs. These goddamn stairs. God, what a um, dude. Ray Liotta, uh, the main guy from Goodfellas. I always wanted to be a good fella. No, you guys haven't seen that. No. He would have been. Boy, have you got a podcast for us? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, John Lithgow. Oh no. No. I don't think so. No. 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 Okay, that's fair. I mean, I wouldn't have picked him either. Um. John Malkovich. What? You're just saying words now, Stephen. No, John Malkovich is on this list. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, Malcolm McDowell. 
Is Quentin Tarantino on this list? Quentin Tarantino is not on this list, but oh. but Malcolm McDowell is. Okay. Who else? We, we don't have a thought on, on Malcolm McDowell. I don't, I don't know, know who that is. is. The, the main guy from A Clockwork Orange. I have not I, watched again, it. Again, haven't watched Clockwork Orange. Uh, okay. Once okay. again, boy, okay. when it, when it was, got a podcast for us. When it was big, I was too young. That's a good That's point. That's true. That's true. Um, Rick Moranis. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Okay. The yeah, dad. maybe. Yeah. I like this section has just turned into, I know I'm an actor, you look confused. I say a film they were <laughs> in. So glad your sister isn't on this section. Yeah, <laughs> true. even worse. Okay, here's someone that you all know. Bill Murray. <laughs> as the master. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. Especially not 90s Bill Murray. No. No. Um, Oliver Platt. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. He'd have been fun. He'd have, he would have been fun. He would have been fun. Yeah. Yeah. No relation. No, no relation. We're opening the Eye of Harmony. Ah, I read then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Tom Selleck, or Magnum P.I., as he's also known. Who is in charge of casting for this? Um, Martin Sheen. 90s Yeah, I'm picturing it. I'm picturing it. It would have been fun. Mm. Uh, Yeah, he's got some good comedic chops. Yeah, Mm. and he's played a great sci-fi villain in uh, the Mass Effect series as well as the elusive man, but very different from the Master. Yeah, someone who was just about to become a president. Yes. Mm. Um, Kevin Spacey. Oh. Would have have probably been good. In hindsight, bad. bad. Mm. They dodged a bullet with that one. Um, Patrick Stewart. (laughs) That would have been interesting. I think he'd have been quite terrifying as the master. It could have been, could have been very interesting. He's just, I don't know. I just have such warm feelings about him. I don't think I'd have been scared. Mm. Mm. Lee, on the other hand. And we finish with way. Sting. <laughs> oh, yes. yes. It would have been out June all over again. Yes, it oh, really was great in June. Yeah, Stephen hasn't seen it. We're, we're probably going to do it when we, the new June film comes uh, out. We got a podcast for you. We need to go and watch that new film, though. Damn straight, we do. We need to go watch that. And we can watch the three-hour sing film before or after. Ultimately, Eric Roberts, was he the right I think shots? he was perfect. Yeah, he was yeah. good. It was great. Okay. Uh, that brings us to the end of this review of Doctor Who, the movie, on this very special Doctory episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. <laughs> All that remains is for us to score the film. And Dr. Sarah, you get to go first because it was your first time watching Doctor Who the movie. What score would you give it out of ten? Yeah, thanks, Doctor Platt. Um, I would give it five Eye of Harmonies. Mm. That's that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was not good, it was not bad, it was fun, it was a bit shit. I loved it. Okay. Uh, what about yourself, Doctor Allen? Yeah, I think it's very middle of the road as well. I'm gonna give it five, whatever the hell those torture device things were that were like putting the spikes into his head and ripping his eyes Spiky open. Spiky head out of ten. They had them on Supernatural too. Not with the eye apart, but with like the head spike thing. Yeah. It was the exact same prop. Look, it probably was because mm. this was filmed in Canada. Mm. So it was Supernatural. Mm. So. Yeah. Maybe that's where the set it. ended up. <laughs> Maybe there's like a big vampire sanctum somewhere that the boys are in. And there's just like teacups in the background. We'll go, hang on a minute. <laughs> yeah, look, this is a bit of a fun, funny one. This whole episode's been a bit of a funny one, to be honest. Mm. Uh, but it's... It's maybe one of the worst films we've watched for this program, but I just have such fond memories of watching it as a child and the fact that it started Paul McGanoff doing the really excellent audio adventures that he Mm. did for years. And it was a really important point in 
Doctor Who even continuing to be a thing. Like, it was just like a, a really important little foothold for everyone to hang on to until Russell T. Davis swung in and saved the day, as he may again be doing in the coming years as he takes over as showrunner once again. Um, but I can't escape that this is not a good film. Mm. Um, the surprise inclusion of Will Sasso does bump up the score, though, so I'm going to give it four lemons out of ten. <laughs> See, the thing about this film is, despite how bad it was, I was smiling the whole time. It, yeah. was, it was fun, good silliness. Yeah, I, I, I was enjoying it, but it's not a good film. Um, but but it was a real delight to, to watch it with Team Pilot. So, Yay! Hashtag Team Pilot. Yes, uh, Dr. Sarah and Dr. Ellen, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thanks for having us, Dr. Stephen. Indeed. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Hey, whether you're a doctor or not, uh, we have got... All so many things for you to do, should you choose. Uh, we have the Patreon. Uh, you can give us a little bit of money and get some bonus materials here and there by going to patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. Uh, we accept coins or indeed uh, bags of gold dust, uh, <laughs> which I just love that they acknowledge that the Doctor would have them lying around after his adventures fighting the Cybermen in, in the late classic who era that it and made also, sense and also the fact that the master knew exactly where they were yeah. like i know where he keeps his bags of gold yeah. dust he's yeah. my ex-boyfriend of course i know <laughs> i just i just like the idea of time lords are all like ah oh, cyberman infestation quick get the gold throw it at them um we can also be found on facebook just search for the cinema catch-up club there and we can be subscribed for a new episode each and every week just search for the cinema catch-up club on itunes spotify soundcloud all of those places but that's all for this week so until next time goodbye doctor 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 You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.